Chapter Seven of *The Giant's Robe* by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven. In the fog. Mark was roused from his reverie in the railway carriage by the fact that the train, after slackening speed rather suddenly, had come to a dead standstill. "'Surely we can't be in already,' he said to himself, wondering at the way in which his thoughts had outstripped the time. But on looking out he found that he was mistaken. They were certainly not near the metropolis as yet, nor did they appear to have stopped at any station. Though from the blank white fog which reigned all around, and drifted in curling wreaths through the window he had let down, it was difficult to make very sure of this. Along the whole length of the train conversation, no longer drowned by the motion, rose and fell in a kind of drone, out of which occasional scraps of talk from the nearer carriages were more distinctly audible, until there came a general lull as each party gave way to the temptation of listening to the other, for the dullest talk has an extraordinary piquancy under these circumstances, either because the speakers, being unseen, appeal to our imagination, or because they do not suppose that they are being so generally overheard. But, by and by, it seemed to be universally felt that the stoppage was an unusual one, and windows went down with a clatter along the carriages, while heads were put out inquiringly. Every kind of voice demanded to be told where they were, and why they were stopping, and what the deuce the company meant by it inquiries met by a guard who walked slowly along the line with the diplomatic evasiveness which marks the official dislike to admit any possible hitch in the arrangements yes he said stolidly there might be a bit of a stoppage like they'd be going on presently he couldn't say how long that would be something had gone wrong with the engine it was nothing serious he didn't exactly know what but he was met just under Mark's window by the guard from the break at the end of the train, when a hurried conference took place in which there was no stolidity on either side. "'Run back as quick as you can and set the detonators. There ain't a minute to lose. She may be down on us any time, and she'll never see the other signals this weather. I'd get em all out of the train if I was you, mate. They ain't safe where they are as it is. That they ain't.' The one guard ran back to his break, and then on to set the fog signals, while the other went to warn the passengers. "'All get out here, please! All get out!' he shouted. There was the usual obstructive person in the train who required to be logically convinced first of the necessity of disturbing himself. He put his head angrily out of a window near Mark's. "'Here, guard!' he shouted importantly. "'What's all this? Why am I to get out?' "'Because you'd better,' said the guard shortly. "'But why? Where's the platform?' I insist on being taken to a platform. I'm not going to break my leg getting out here. Several people, who had half opened their doors, paused on the steps at this, as if recalled to a sense of their personal dignity. Do as you please, sir, said the official. The engine's broke down, and we may be run into any minute in this fog, but if you'd be more comfortable up there... There was no want of alacrity after that. The obstructive man, being the first down, all the rosy-faced gentlemen hopped out, some of the younger ones still grasping half-played hands of Knapp or Lou, and made the best of their way down the embankment, and several old ladies were got out in various stages of flutter, narrowly escaping sprained ankles in the descent. Mark, who had seen his opportunity from the first, had rushed to the door of the next compartment, caught Dolly in his arms as she jumped down, 
and hardly believing in his own good fortune held mabel's hand in his for one happy moment as she stepped from the high and awkward footboard down the slope quick he cried to them get as far from the line as you can in case of a smash mabel turned a little pale for she had not understood till then that there was any real danger keep close to me dolly she said as they went down the slope we're safe here the fog had gathered thick down in the meadows and nothing could be seen of the abandoned train when they had gone a few paces from the foot of the embankment the passengers were moving about in excited groups not knowing what horrors they might not be obliged to witness in the next few minutes the excitement increased as one of them declared he could hear the noise of an approaching train only just in time god help them if they don't pull up cried some and a woman hoped that the poor driver and stoker were not on the engine dolly heard this and broke from mabel with a loud cry mabel we've left frisk she sobbed he'll be killed or my dog will be killed he mustn't be left behind and to mark's horror she turned back evidently with the idea of making for the point of danger he ran after her and caught the little silvery-grey form fast in his arms let me go cried dolly struggling i must get him back oh i must he'll have jumped out by this time he's quite safe said mark in her ear he was sound asleep in his basket he'll never wake if i don't call to him why do you hold me i tell you i will go persisted dolly no dolly no said mabel bending over her it's too late it's hard to leave him but we must hope for the best she was crying too for the poor doomed dog as she spoke mark was hardly a man from whom anything heroic could be very confidently expected he was no more unselfish than the generality of young men as a rule he disliked personally inconveniencing himself for other people and in cooler moments or without the stimulus of mabel's presence he would certainly have seen no necessity to run the risk of a painful death for the sake of a dog but mabel was there and the desire of distinguishing himself in her eyes made a temporary hero out of materials which at first sight were not promising he was physically fearless enough and given to acting on impulses without counting the consequences the impulse seized him now to attempt to rescue this dog and he obeyed it blindly wait here he said to mabel i'll go back for him oh no no she cried it may cost you your life don't stop him mabel entreated dolly he is going to save my dog mark had gone already and was halfway up the slope slippery as it was with the grass clumped and matted together by the frost and scored in long brown tracks by the feet that had just descended it mabel was left to console and encourage the weeping dolly as best she might with a terrible suspense weighing on her own heart the while not altogether on frisk's account at the point where the train had broken down the line took a bold curve and now they could hear apparently close upon them the roar of a fast train sweeping round through the fog there were some faint explosions hoarse shouting a long screeching whistle and after that the dull shock of a collision but nothing could be seen from where they stood 
and for some moments mabel remained motionless almost paralysed by the fear of what might be hidden behind the fog curtain mark clambered painfully up the glistening embankment hoping to reach the motionless carriages and escape with his object effected before the train he could hear in the distance ground into them with a hideous crash he knew his danger but to do him justice he scarcely gave it a thought any possible suffering seemed as remote and inconsiderable just then as the chance of a broken leg or collarbone had been to him when running for a touchdown in his football days the one idea that filled his brain was to return to mabel triumphant with the rescued dog in his arms and he had room for no others he went as directly as he could to the part of the train in which was the carriage he had occupied and found it without much difficulty when he was near enough to make out forms through the fog the door to mabel's compartment was open and as he sprang up the footboard he heard the train behind rattling down on him with its whistle screeching infernally and for the first time felt an uneasy recollection of the horribly fantastic injuries described in accounts of so many railway collisions but there was no time to think of this at the other end of the carriage was the little round wicker basket he had seen in dolly's hands at the chickbourne waiting-room and in it was the terrier sleeping soundly as she had anticipated he caught up the little drowsy beast which growled ungratefully and turned to leap down with it to the ballast when there was a sharp concussion which sent a jangling forward shock increasing in violence as it went along the standing train and threw him violently against the partition of the compartment meanwhile the passengers of the first train now that the worst was apparently over and the faint shouts and screams from the embankment had calmed down began to make their way in the direction of the sounds and mabel holding dolly fast by the hand forced herself to follow them though she was sick and faint with the dread of what she might see the first thing they saw was a crowd of eager excited faces all questioning and accusing the badgered officials of both trains at the same time why was an empty train left on the rails unprotected in this way they might have been all killed it was culpable negligence all round and there should be an inquiry they would insist on an inquiry they would report this to the traffic manager and so on the faces looked pale and ghastly enough in the fog but all the speakers were evidently sound in wind and limb and as far as could be seen neither train had left the rails but where was the young man who had volunteered to recover the dog oh mabel cried dolly again and again frisk is killed i'm sure of it or he'd come to me something has happened ask do ask but mabel dared not for fear of hearing that a life had been nobly and uselessly sacrificed she could only press through the crowd with the object of making her way to the carriage where the suspense would be ended there's someone in one of the carriages she heard a voice saying as she got nearer and her heart beat faster and then the crowd parted somehow and she saw mark ashburn come out of it towards her with a dazed scared smile on his pale face and the little trembling dog safe under one arm fortunately for mark the fog signals had been set in time to do their work and the second train was fitted with powerful brakes which but for the state of the rails would have brought it to without any collision at all as it was 
the shock had not been severe enough to damage the rolling stock to any greater extent than twisting or straining a buffer or coupling chain here and there though it had thrown him against the corner of the net rail with sufficient violence to slightly graze his forehead and leave him stunned and a little faint for a few moments after sitting down for a short time to recover himself he picked up the terrier from the cushions on which it was crouching and shivering having dropped from his hand at the concussion and feeling himself still rather giddy and sick got down amongst the astonished crowd and came towards mabel and dolly as we have seen it was the best moment as he thought afterwards in his life everyone probably with any imagination at all likes to conceive himself at times as the performer of some heroic action extorting the admiration he longs for from some particular pair of eyes but opportunities for thus distinguishing oneself are sadly rare nowadays and often when they come are missed or if grasped with success the fair eyes are looking another way and never see it but mark had a satisfied sense of appearing to the utmost advantage as he met the little girl and placed the dog in her arms there's your dog he's quite safe only a little frightened he said with a pleasant sympathy in his voice dolly was too overcome for words she caught frisk up with her eyes swimming and ran away with him to pour her self-reproach and relief into his prickled ears without making any attempt to express her thanks to his rescuer her sister however made him ample amends how can we thank you she said with a quiver in her voice and an involuntary admiration in her eyes it was so very very brave of you you might have been killed i thought at first it was going to be rather a bad smash said mark he could not resist the impulse now to make all the capital he could out of what he had done i was knocked down and and unconscious for a while after it but i'm not much hurt as you see i don't think i'm any the worse for it and at all events your little sister's dog isn't and that's the main point isn't it he added with a feeling that his words were equal to the occasion indeed it isn't said mabel warmly if you had been seriously hurt i should never have forgiven myself for letting you go but are you sure you feel no pain anywhere well he admitted i fancy i was cut a little about the head he was afraid she might not have noticed this but that's a trifle there is a cut on your forehead said mabel it has been bleeding but i think it has stopped now let me bind it up for you in case it should break out again it was in truth a very small cut and had hardly bled at all but mark made light of it elaborately as the surest means of keeping her interest alive i'm afraid it must be giving you pain she said with a pretty anxious concern in her eyes as she spoke and mark protested that the pain was nothing which was the exact truth although he had no intention of being taken literally they had gone down the embankment again and were slowly crossing the dim field in which they had first taken refuge no one was in sight the other passengers being still engaged in comparing notes or browbeating the unhappy guards above and as mark glanced at his companion he saw that her thoughts had ceased to busy themselves about him while her eyes were trying to pierce the gloom which surrounded her i was looking for my little sister she exclaimed answering the question in his eyes 
she ran off with the dog you brought back to her and it is so easy to lose oneself here i must find out where she is oh you are ill she broke off suddenly as mark staggered and half fell only a slight giddiness he said if if i could sit down somewhere for a moment is that a stile over there it looks like one can you get so far without help she said compassionately will you lean on me he seemed to her like some young knight who had been wounded as it were in her cause and deserved all the care she could give him if you will be so very good said mark he felt himself a humbug for he could have leaped the stile with ease at that very moment he had very little excuse for practising in this way on her womanly sympathy except that he dreaded to lose her just yet and found such a subtle intoxication in being tended like this by a girl from whom an hour ago he had scarcely hoped to win another careless glance if he exaggerated his symptoms as it is to be feared he did there may be some who will forgive him under the circumstances so he allowed mabel to guide him to the stile and sat down on one of its rotten cross planks while she poured eau de cologne or some essence of the kind on a handkerchief and ordered him to bathe his forehead with it they seemed isolated there together on the patch of hoary grass by a narrow black ditch half hidden in rank weeds which alone could be distinguished in the prevailing yellowish whiteness and mark desired nothing better at the moment i wonder said mabel if there's a doctor amongst the passengers there must be i should think i'm sure you ought to see one let me see if i can find one and bring him to you but mark declared he was quite himself again and would have begged her not to leave him if he had dared and as there really did not seem to be anything serious the matter mabel's uneasiness about dolly returned i can't rest till i find her she said and if you really are strong again will you help me she cannot have gone far mark only too glad of any pretence to remain with her volunteered willingly then will you go round the field that way she said and i will go this and we will meet here again don't you think said mark who had not been prepared for this that if she might not know me you see i mean if i was not with you yes she will said mabel impatiently dolly won't forget you after what you have done and we are losing time go round by there and call her now and then and if she is here she will come and if she is not then we will try the next field she went off herself as she spoke and mark had nothing for it but to obey as she so evidently expected to be obeyed he went round the field calling out the child's name now and then feeling rather forlorn and ridiculous as his voice went out unanswered on the raw air presently a burly figure grotesquely magnified by the mist came towards him and resolved itself into an ordinary guard you one of the gentlemen in my train sir he said the train has broke down that is yes said mark why because we got the engine put to right sir nothing much the matter with her there wasn't and we're going on directly sir i'm getting all my passengers together mark was in no hurry to leave that field but his time was not his own he ought to have been at st peter's long ago and was bound to take the first opportunity of getting back it would not be pleasant as it was to have to go and fetch down his class from the sixth form room where the headmaster had probably given them a temporary asylum he had never forgotten the morning on which he had overslept himself and the mortification he had felt at the doctor's blandly polite but cutting reception of his apologies 
He had a better excuse this time, but even that would not bear overtaxing. He hesitated a moment, however. "'I'll go in a minute,' he said. "'But there's a lady and a little girl with a dog somewhere about. They mustn't be left behind. Wait while I go and tell them, will you?' "'Never you fear, sir,' said the guard. "'We won't go without them, but I'll call them. They'll mind me more than they will you, begging your pardon, sir, and you'd better run on as time's short, and keep places for em. You leave it all to me. I'll take care of em. Mark heard faint barks across the hedge in the direction Mabel had taken. The child was evidently found. The best thing, he thought, to do now was to secure an empty compartment, and with that idea, and perhaps a little from that instinctive obedience to anything in a uniform, which is a characteristic of the average respectable Englishman, he let himself be persuaded by the guard, and went back to the train. To his great joy he found that the compartment Mabel had occupied had no one in it. He stood waiting by the door for Mabel and her sister to come up, with eager anticipations of delightful conclusion to his journey. "'Perhaps she will tell me who she is,' he thought. "'At all events she will ask me who I am. How little I hoped for this yesterday!' He was interrupted by a guard, another guard, a sour-looking man with a grizzled beard, who was in charge of the front van. "'Get in, sir, if you mean to travel by this ear train,' he said. "'I'm waiting for a young lady,' said Mark, rather ingenuously. But it slipped out, almost without his knowledge. "'The other guard promised me—' "'I don't know nothing about no young ladies,' said the guard, obdurately. "'But if you mean my mate, he's just given me the signal from his end, and if you don't want to be left behind—' "'You'd better take your seat while you can, sir, and pretty sharp, too.' There was nothing else to do. He could not search for Mabel along the train. He must wait till they got to King's Cross. But he took his seat reluctantly, and with a heavy disappointment, thinking what a fool he had been to let himself be persuaded by the burly guard. "'But for that, she might have been sitting opposite to me now,' he thought bitterly. "'What a fool I was to leave her!' how pretty she looked when she wanted me to see a doctor how charming she is altogether am i in love with her already of course i am who wouldn't be i shall see her again she will speak to me once more and after all things might be worse i couldn't have counted on that when we started and he tried to console himself with this feeling an impatient anger at the slow pace of the train as it crept cautiously on towards the goal of his hopes. But the breakdown had not happened very far from town, and, tedious as the time seemed to Mark, it was not actually long before the colour of the atmosphere—there was no other indication—proved that they were nearing the terminus. It changed by slow gradations from its original yellow whiteness to mustard colour, and from that to a smoky lurid red and from red to stinging, choking iron-grey, and the iron-grey pall was in full possession of King's Cross, where the sickly moonlight of the electric lamps could only clear small halos immediately around their globes. Mark sprang out before the train had stopped. He strained his eyes in watching for the form he hoped to see there, but in vain. There were no signs in all that bustle of Mabel or Dolly, or the little dog to whom he owed so much he sought out the guard who had deluded him and found him superintending the clearing of the luggage van he hardly knew whether it was merely a fancy that the official after making a half step forward to meet him and fumbling in all his pockets turned away again as if anxious to avoid meeting his eye 
Mark forced him to meet him, however, willing or not. "'Where is the lady?' he said sharply. "'You left her behind after all, it seems.' "'It wasn't my fault, sir,' said the guard, wheezily. "'Nor was it the lady's fault, leastways only the little lady, sir. "'Both on us tried all we could, but the little missy, her with the tarrier dog, "'was nervous-like with it all, and wouldn't hear of getting in the train again. "'To the young lady, she said, seeing as they were so near London, "'they could get a fly or a cab or summat, and go on in that.' "'And did she give you no message for me?' said Mark. There was such evident expectation in his face that the guard seemed afraid to disappoint it. "'I was to give you her respects and compliments,' he said slowly. "'Or was it her love now?' He substituted quickly, after a glance at Mark's face. "'And you was not to be in a way about her, and she'd be seen of you again before very long, and—' "'That's all a lie, you know,' said Mark calmly. "'Well, then, she didn't say nothing, if that weren't it,' said the guard doggedly. "'Did she—did she leave any directions about luggage or anything?' said Mark. "'Brown portmantee to go in the left luggage room to called for,' said the guard. "'Anything else I can do for you, sir? No? Good morning, then, and thank you, sir.' "'Never did such a thing as that in my life before,' he muttered, as he went back to his van. "'To go and lose a bit of paper with writing on it, directly I got it to.' "'I'm afraid my head's a-leaving me. "'They ain't keeping company, that's plain. "'I made a mess of that, or he wouldn't have wanted her direction. "'I saw what he was up to. "'Well, they'd make a good-looking pair. "'I'm sorry I lost that there paper, "'but it weren't no use a telling of him.' "'As for Mark, this lame and impotent conclusion "'brought back all his depression again. "'She never even asked my name,' he thought bitterly. "'I risked my life for her. "'It was for her.' and she knew it but she has forgotten that already i've lost her for ever this time she may not even live in london and if she did i've no clue to tell me where and if i had i don't exactly see what use it would be i won't think about it yes i will she can't prevent me from doing that at any rate by this time he had left the city station of the metropolitan railway and was going back to his underground labours at st peter's where he was soon engaged in trying to establish something like discipline in his class which the dark brown fog seemed to have inspired with unaccountable liveliness his short holiday had not served to rest and invigorate him as much as might have been expected it had left him consumed with a hopeless longing for something unattainable his thirst for distinction had returned in an aggravated form and he had cut himself off now from the only means of slaking it as that day wore on, and with each day that succeeded it, he felt a wearier disgust with himself and his surroundings. End of chapter 7